You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Somewhere along the way, I stopped asking what hotels wanted of me and started learning what I wanted from them. In particular, great style and those thoughtful services that make you feel looked after when you're thousands of miles from home and discombobulated by the time change and not looking forward to tomorrow's meetings. I still get a thrill when at the peninsula in Hong Kong or Shanghai or Beijing, my shoes come back not just with a shine, but with monogram shoe trees. I still swoon when I notice someone has brought a fashion editor's eye to the staff uniforms. I'm looking at you, Rosewood London, with those tartan waistcoats. And when I glance around my house today, I can spot all renovation ideas and decorating moves I've taken from hotels the world over. The bar setup I copied from Villa Veltrinelli on the shore of Lake Garda. The artist I discovered at Bahia Vic in Uruguay. The Indian-inspired nook in my bookcase populated with bits and bobs acquired at the Oberoi's and Taj's across the subcontinent. That was an excerpt from a piece that my guest today on The Luxury Item recently wrote in Departures magazine. The piece was about his long love for luxury hotels and some of the properties that stand out in his mind. He is likely not alone in his thoughts, as many world travelers are anxious to someday move beyond rediscovering their own backyards and start building unforgettable travel memories. The scars inflicted by COVID-19 on travel and tourism look to be permanent as companies shift away from massive travel budgets and experiential living becomes a memory. Countless luxury hotels around the world have been dealing with canceled reservations, lost revenue, and not knowing how long the coronavirus pandemic will wreak havoc on the world. As hotels have been cautiously reopening, health and safety concerns is now paramount for both travelers and properties. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Nathan Lump. He is the Vice President of Consumer Marketing at the Expedia Group, one of the world's leading online travel brands. Nathan leads Expedia's consumer marketing organization. Prior to joining Expedia, Nathan was editorial director for the luxury and lifestyle group at Time Inc., where he managed the performance of a portfolio of premium brands, including travel and leisure, departures, food and wine, southern living, coastal living, sunset, and others. He was also travel and leisure's editor-in-chief. Nathan also spent time at Condé Nast leading editorial and strategic direction for brands like Condé Nast Traveler. As a matter of fact, Nathan and I worked together at Time Inc., And I can tell you, aside from being a travel industry and luxury expert, he has an incredible grasp of global trends in behavior and consumption. He's here to talk about the future of luxury travel in a complex world, and maybe he'll even share a couple of luxury stories along the way. Welcome to The Luxury Item, Nathan. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm so glad you're on on the show. Um, I know you're out in Seattle, and you moved there uh, a bunch of months ago, and to me, you're a New Yorker, and, and I would love to know um, how it's been since you've moved to Seattle. Obviously, you didn't expect to see what happened happened in the last yeah. you know, four months ago, but um, very interesting to hear before we kind of jump into to things, you know, how things have been going in Seattle since you moved out there. Yeah, um, it's obviously been an, a strange time to be a newcomer to a place, you know, and people ask me, how do you like Seattle? And my answer is, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> because I <laughs> haven't really um, explored the city that much at this point, you know, we moved here towards the end of last year. And then we moved into, you know, lockdown pretty early here um, in the city. But, um, you know, overall, um, you know, so far, so good. It's been um, a strange time to be away from New York as well. And then, you know, seeing all the 
things happening there in this period. Um, I, obviously, I feel very close to New York and to a, a lot of people there. But um, but we've got a lovely place here, and um, you know the Pacific Northwest weather has been lovely this summer. And so um, yeah, you know, no no complaints. It's uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just an unusual time to yeah um, not know your way around. And and I think your piece in the de in departures was so timely. And I really enjoyed it, um, you know, on the transformative power of checking into a luxury hotel. It was really heartfelt to me. Um, so what inspired you to write it? Um, to be totally honest, I was asked to write it. Um, not exactly. I mean, I was asked to write an essay um, uh, about hotels. You know, I, I used to be the editorial director of Departures, and so yep. I know the team there very well. And, um, and um you know, they were in the was midst. This pre -pand of it. Was this pre-pandemic? No, it was, oh. it was during the pandemic. Right. So, you know, they were um, producing that issue. You know, they have a hotels themed issue that they were producing kind of at the height of the pandemic. And, um, you know, naturally for a, a travel brand, it's a little bit challenging for all the travel brands today because uh, some of the kind of classic stuff that you produce, you, you can't actually do right now. So, um, so they wanted to have an essay um, for the book, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, just dealing with the idea of, you know, what makes hotels special and what do we love about them. And so I, you know, I, I sort of took that guidance and, and ran with it in terms of reflecting on, you know, what hotels have, have meant to me. And, you know, um, for anyone who reads the piece, you know, you, it's, uh, you know, it's clear that um, hotels have been a really important, you know, part of my education in a way and, right. um, and have been very sustaining to me over the years. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I consider myself a student of hospitality still. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 I love that sense of possibility that you can get from, um, you can get from things, but it was, it was a really wonderful, it was, it was a, a lot of fun to put that piece together because of course it was also, I was reflecting on, great experiences and on travel at a time when, you know, I myself and many others, you know, haven't been doing that, um, which right. is in and of itself an unusual thing for me. You know, I have not gone this long without getting on a plane or checking into a hotel in at least 25 years. Um, uh, and it's a, it's, it's weird. I can imagine. <laughs> really. You've meant you, you name dropped a bunch of great hotels mm. in that piece. How did you choose those hotels? Um, you know, you know mm. you've stayed in so many luxury hotels around the world. How did you pick those? And it seems like the ones that you did pick have influenced you in your own personal life. Yeah, I really, I, I kind of worked backwards from memories um, in a sense and just, you know, w memories that stood out to me, places that, you know, um, because obviously, as you say, I mean, I've stayed in so many wonderful wonderful hotels yeah. and um you know i mean it's the great good fortune of my life um and um you know but obviously some you know you have you have personal memories that attach to some more than others and um and that was really kind of how i and there's so many more i could have included i mean yeah, i have yes. uh, you know endless number of, of of these kinds of memories but yeah but i was really trying to touch on you know ones that you know, I, uh, yeah, that I had some attachment to at some particular, you know, particular time in my life. And um, it was sort of a random collection that way, but I kind of like how, how the, the mix that, that came out of that. Yeah. What was your favorite hotel stay? Oh my gosh. Luxury, let's specifically, God, let's, let's mean, stick uh, with luxury, luxury hotels. Uh, I know yeah, there's well, a lot, but what is there uh, one that kind of sticks uh, out to you? Um, 
Look, um, you know, many of the ones, obviously, I, I, I don't have a single favorite, I will say, and um, that would be impossible for me to say. It's like, um, I have a friend who writes about um, wine, and he always says, you know, don't ask me what my favorite wine is, because like, I write about wine, because I love wine. I've got so many, <laughs> anyway, but it's, but, um, but um, truly, um, I, so I don't have a single favorite, but, um, you know, there are a lot of the ones that I wrote about um, are very special to me, um, you know, uh, but I will say one, you know, one I can share that um, I didn't write about in the piece um, for uh, just to provide maybe something different for those who, who read it um, or will read it um, is um, that I have a special memory of his Amangiri, um, you know, right here in the United States, yep. um, in Utah. And, um, you know, I had Amangiri is uh, for, uh, for anyone who knows it. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly just beautiful, beautiful property, um, right. you know, super Zen and minimal and like, you know, in the high desert of Southern Utah. And um, I had this experience where I was, I had been, I was in Los Angeles for business um, meetings and I was at a time in my life when I was really, um, really feeling pretty burnt out um, and just having, you know, just in need of kind of some, restoration basically and right. I was in LA for meetings and I, I I was about to leave and I looked at my schedule for the rest of the week and I and I it was kind of lighter than usual and I thought you know what maybe I can take a few days and go somewhere and so I I basically I called up Amagiri and I booked myself in there and I changed my ticket and I you know, told my husband I wasn't coming home for a few more days, and I, uh, and, I and I and I flew to I flew to Vegas and then drove for you know a number of hours because it's quite quite far, um, you know, to that place. And I told the team that I um, basically didn't want to talk to anyone while I was there, um, you know. And you know, I was editor in chief of travel and leisure at the time, and you know, you tend to get a little fussed fussed over um, when you show up at great hotels and. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. But um, I really wasn't what I wanted. Um, and I have to say, I was really impressed. The team like completely left me alone, which was exactly what I wanted. And I basically spent four days not talking to another human being and just kind of communing with nature and the, and the kind of incredible sense of peace in that property. And I think one of the things that, you know, I, I think of still today when I think of that stay is that, you know, luxury means a lot of different things and sometimes right. and obviously that the property itself is luxurious um, in a lot of the ways that we think of luxury but sometimes luxury is about something like peace and quiet and serenity and having access to an environment where you can feel that spirit and um, and you know for me that's what made that stay so special and that was the incredible luxury that that property delivered to me was that it gave me something that I needed in that moment. And that was very hard for me to find anywhere. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's one that I, I, I remember um, very, um, you know, very strongly. So when it does, when it comes to travel, what does luxury mean to you? Mm. Well, it means a lot of different things, but um, you know, for me, luxury fundamentally is about having access to things or, and when I say things, I don't necessarily mean tangible things. Um, that are um, perhaps more special than what you experience in your everyday. Um, and so that can be about comfort or it can be about service, um, but it can be, as I was just saying, it can also be about environment. It can be about a mood. Um, but that fundamentally for me, it's about kind of a, a step change from 
you know, what your daily life looks like um, and in a way that is positive and that you appreciate. Um, and so in that sense, it's also very personal. Um, you know, what is luxury to me is not necessarily going to be um, luxury to you. And, um, and so, you know, that's not a very perhaps satisfying answer because it's not very concrete, but it, you know, I think, I think it's the, it, it is for me the, 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 the philosophical idea um, for me behind luxury. Right. That makes sense. So let's shift to the industry, you know, being ex in, in Expedia and have been in the thick of the travel industry <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. You know, I know, you know, the overall travel booking numbers have been brutal in second quarter, you know, yeah. especially in the early days of the outbreak. Now we're seeing people are slowly starting to be part of the world again. And, you know, once the vaccine is developed, do you see a big rebound in travel? And while we're talking about Expedia, you know, what is Expedia doing to prepare for that rebound? Mm. So, yes, I mean, um, I believe that um, I believe that travel will come back in a big way. Um, but I actually don't. It is my personal belief that I don't think travel will come back in a big way until we do have a, you know, widely available effective vaccine or treatment. Um, I think as long as that's not the case um, and the virus is still, you know, with us and people are still getting sick and dying, I think that will put a damper on travel, even if things are not as bad as they were at the height of the crisis. Um, you know, and we're seeing that right now where, where you know, travel has rebounded some um, and people are traveling to some extent and they are moving around and there's a lot of variation by market. Um, you know, our business at Expedia is truly global. And so, um, you know, we're seeing the patterns in, you know, every major travel market in the world. And, um, and there's, there is not insignificant variation between those markets, but everywhere um, demand is not um, what it was um, prior to the, um, prior to the rise of the pandemic. And so, but yes, but it, I do believe that things will, I think we'll see actually when, once we reach that point, I think there'll be tremendous pent up demand and, you know, there'll be a, um, I hope, um, and I think there'll be a big, you know, a big comeback um, across yeah. the industry, you know, in terms of what we're doing to prepare, um, there's a lot of, um, you know, so we're obviously, you know, at Expedia, my current role, um, we're, you know, we're a technology company that plays in the travel space, right? Um, and um, one of the things that we're really doing, you know, in this period have been doing is taking the opportunity to make a lot of improvements, um, kind of back-end improvements, things that necessarily, you know, our customers, consumers don't necessarily see, but that um, increase our ability to serve them better. Um, and... Um, you know, improving things like functionality, um, how we deliver service, um, the ways in which we're utilizing technology to hopefully create better customer experiences. And some of those things in a normal business environment can be hard to justify, you know, spending a lot of time on because they don't necessarily drive immediate business results, but, um, but they're important. Um, and we're kind of taking the opportunity while business is a little bit softer to make an investment in, in some of those areas. And I would say that's probably the overarching biggest thing that we're doing now is to try to, you know, kind of lay that foundation for, you know, being better um, kind of across the board when that moment comes so that we're, you know, in a position to both hopefully better capture that demand, but also, um, you know, deliver a better customer experience for, for the folks who come back to us. 
Right. So who do you think is going to start traveling first when that happens? Is it going to be the high net worth, you know, net worth travelers? You know, they are still traveling to some degree and mm-hmm. have the means to do so. And they have that flexibility. So yeah. do you see this audience being the first ones to travel? Come back? Yeah. Um, I think that um, they will be among the first, probably. Um, and I, you know, we're already seeing some evidence of that, as you say. Um, I think I don't think it'll be exclusively that group in the sense that I think what we're seeing, at least, is that um, it has to do in some ways with risk profile, basically. So, um, you know, I think it stands to reason that your, you know, your high-end customer will be among the first to come back because, partially because they're better traveled um, and therefore kind of you know, feel more comfortable with the travel experience broadly, which creates a higher degree of confidence. Um, And then also from a financial perspective, they're less concerned about um, the risks that would come if, you know, they make a booking and ultimately can't travel and they might lose some money attached to that. Like that's not as much of a concern for that customer. So, um, but on the, you know, on the flip side, you have, let's say, younger people who might um, not spend as much money, might not, you know, have as much disposable income or fit the profile of a luxury traveler, but they also on the, you know, might also fit sort of a, a certain sort of risk profile in the sense that they might just not be as worried about, um, uh, worried about their health or worried about what would happen to them if they got stranded somewhere. And um, so they too, I think, would be, you know, uh, good candidates for, you know, for coming back sooner. So it's a, and obviously, at a company like Expedia, we serve both ends of that market. So, um, so you know, we're looking for all the pockets of um, potential demand. But yeah. yes, but I think, but I think you're absolutely right. Your hypothesis, I think, is you know, rings very true to me. And I think, and as I said, we're already seeing some evidence of that. That certainly that your your high end, your luxury traveler is is you know is definitely going to have a I think a higher degree of resilience. And I know you've been looking at the data at Expedia to see who's you know traveling now and who's. Mm getting themselves out into the world again. Are you seeing anything interesting or anything surprising? Um, there's nothing particularly surprising. Um, the, what, I, what I would say is, um, which I alluded to already, is that the, you know, the, there is not insignificant market variation. So Europe you know, is, and this won't come as any surprise to folks who've been looking at this closely, but you know, Europe is um, doing better. Um, in terms of people, um, you know, returning, albeit cautiously, to, um, you know, to certain kinds of travel. Um, there's definitely more movement across borders, for instance, um, even if it is still regional um, uh, on the European side than we're seeing in, in other parts of the world. Um, and so, you know, they're really, at least from our perspective, they're leading the way in terms of recovery in the, in the travel sector. Um, and you know, I think that's probably the most significant trend that I've been um, that I've been following, and really thinking about um, you know how do we how do we adapt to that and understand that you know the the patterns of travel are looking different in other places. So in the U.S., obviously, it's still um, more, much more domestic, and even within the U.S., we're seeing some you know some not insignificant variations regionally. Um, for what I believe are different reasons in some cases. So, um, you know, in the Northeast where cases are, um, seem to be a bit more under control, um, there's a higher degree of comfort emerging there, but, you know, in a, in a strong kind of quite regional um, travel profile. Um, in other parts of the country where you see um, cases not necessarily 
under control in quite the same way, but there there seems to be movement happening there as well for but you know mostly because the people don't seem to be as concerned in some ways so anyway it's it's an interesting just there are interesting variations that are i think in some ways kind of cultural and regional yeah i know you mentioned earlier that during this downtime if you will that Expedia is doing a lot of things behind the scenes and you know in the news reading that they have made a bunch of more consumer facing changes in the past few months you know they took I took down HomeAway mm. um, in the U.S. and they folded it into this revamped vacation rental site, Verbo. Yeah. Um, it seems like vacation rentals is having its moment and thriving in the midst of this COVID calamity. Can you talk about that? Are you seeing that too? Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, you know, Verbo is um, the brightest spot in our business um, as a group. I mean, uh, I, I think most of your listeners will know this, but, you know, Expedia Group is an umbrella um, group of brands. Expedia um, is one of those brands, but we have, you know, a number of others, Travelocity, Hotels.com, um, Verbo, uh, and some and, and others. And, um, but yes, Verbo has been the, you know, vacation rentals has been the real, um, has been the real bright spot and the real kind of um, growth area. In fact, I mean, um, in our, you know, in our business, and we're not alone in seeing that. Um, and, you know, it, it makes some sense as people are kind of, you know, returning to, you know, getting out there and wanting to go places, there's something that feels a bit more secure about being in private spaces, um, as opposed to public ones, um, or being able to, you know, and being able to stay with within your, you know, bubble, as it were, um, if you're traveling with other people. Um, and that has, yeah, and that has been a, um, a big area of focus for us. Um, you know, in terms of the consumer facing brands, we had actually already made the the decision had already been made, for instance, with the home away brand to to fold the home away brand into um, into Verbo and to go forward with one primary vacation rental brand. Um, and the success that we saw with um, with Verbo and vacation rentals actually just kind of accelerated the um, the process. But the decision had already been made to, um, to 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 do that. I'm personally contributing to its growth because um, I booked a Verbo home in Saratoga Springs for next week. So um, I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, excellent. I'm no, that's very great. excited about that. It's yeah. I think you know. I think that you know. It makes sense that you know people. I think as as we're you know, and I think hotels, by the way, will you know will you know, we'll see proper recovery. I don't think there's any reason to think that, um, you know, consumers who prefer hotels over vacation rentals or vice versa, I don't think there's any particular reason to think that those preferences will change on a permanent basis, I think. But I think it's interesting to see that, you know, vacation rentals are tapping into something that helps people travel more confidently right now. Right. So from a consumer marketing standpoint, you know, what are some of the things that you are personally working on that you can talk about at Expedia? Mm -hmm. Um, yes, um, a, a lot of things. Um, oh my goodness. Um, you know, <laughs> the, um, the, you know, as I was alluding to earlier, you know, if there is a silver lining to a challenging and, and, and soft business climate, it's that it does offer you the opportunity to make changes. Um, and I'm, I'm new in my role. Um, and, um, you know, saw a lot of opportunity for change. One of the things that I'm really just focused on is kind of, um, redefining how we handle our customer communications broadly um, and to try to do so in a way that is um, perhaps a bit more conscious of um, 
adding genuine value um, for mm-hmm. the consumer in every one of our touch points. Um, that's a, that's a, a real priority for me. I mean, you know, coming out of the media business as I do, um, I have a very, um, you know, in the media business, your whole business is based on your relationship with your, with your consumer. You know, if you, if people don't like what you give them, you don't, you don't have an audience and therefore you don't have a business. Right. Um, and, you know, I think commercial, um, commercial companies, brands, um, can sometimes can sometimes forget that it's how important it is to nurture your customer um, and really make sure that you're helping them and that you're providing genuine value that you're not just talking to them for the sake of talking to them but that you're actually talking to them because you have something that you think would be helpful for them to hear um, right. and so one of the, so very broadly kind of philosophically that's something I'm focused on is, is sort of kind of reforming or or adjusting our, um, our customer communications. Another piece that I'm really focused on is um, is how do we better build customer loyalty? Um, so I oversee our um, our rewards program for the Expedia brand, um, and that's something um, I'm putting renewed focus uh, behind uh, in an effort to you know make sure that we're also nurturing the customers who um, you know who've shown propensity to do business with us and who um, you know who travel more frequently, spend more money, all those good things that are helpful for building a healthy business. So I want to make sure we really take care of those folks and, and hopefully encourage more of them to exist. So um, those are two things I'm really focused on. So these challenging times seem to have given us an appreciation of intrinsic luxuries in our lives, you know, from baking sourdough bread mm-hmm, <laughs> at yeah. home to spending more time with your family. So do you think by recognizing these simple pleasures, travel at any level will become more precious and more adventurous? Yeah, I think that's a really, um, I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to prognosticate too much about how things will change because who knows in some ways, but I, I, I do, um, I do think that there's a possibility that as, as you say, as we've kind of reconnected to some of, um, some of these things and come to maybe, you know, appreciate them more than we might have in the past. Um, that, you know, it's almost like the way we used to think about travel, that it was like a, it was a very special thing and it was a, you know, it was a special event and it was something that you really, you know, you really looked forward to and people took longer trips and it was more of a, you know, it was more of a moment and you, you know, you carved out more, you know, you carved out potentially more time for it. And, you know, I think, I think there's a, there's a possibility at least that we could see a a movement towards that in some ways, kind of how we, you know, maybe how we used to think about travel more like 20 years ago than, you know, or or longer um, than in the last few years when it was, you know, nothing to, for some people to hop on a plane and go to Paris for the weekend or, you know, like, I think, I I think there might be a bit more of a, 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 there might be some recalibration around that. You know, before the pandemic hit, many affluent consumers were looking for more of these life enhancing and life changing travel, you know, where they can expect a much deeper connection with the world around them, you know, such as witnessing the total eclipse of the sun. You know, from a luxury can in Patagonia or, you know, cultural immersions in Japan during the cherry blossom seasons. Do you think that type of travel itinerary will continue in a post-COVID world? 100%. Um, I think, um, you know, I think if anything, this, you know, just, um, you know, hastens that or exacerbates that um, that trend, um, you know, reinforces it. Um, you know, I think people will be continuing to look ever more to to travel to provide that like 
extra sense of meaning that that way of um you know connecting to something either in themselves or something in another culture or community that you know that is additive and enriching to to their lives um yeah i think um i think there's a real possibility that this whole experience kind of makes um makes making choices that feel consistent with your values and how you're trying to grow as an individual and contribute to society. Like it really heightens those, those considerations. And I think we'll feel that in travel for sure. I think you'll have more of these bucket list, tra- you know, bucket, yeah. bucket list type trips for multi-generational families totally. or, you know, large groups of friends who want to celebrate and reunite after not seeing each other for so long. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, there's definitely, uh, there are definitely many of us, um, myself included, you know, who um, haven't seen friends and family for a long time. Um, I think there'll be a, a, a strong desire to get together. Travel will be, since we don't all live in the same places, I think travel will be a, a you know, a, a key part of that. I mean, that's also a trend that we've, you know, that we've been, I've been following for quite some time is, you know, is this also this idea that, you know, travel is also about carving out space in your life for um, quality time with the people that you love. And that's also a part of what, you know, makes travel meaningful. And I think that will, will, you know, be even more of an impetus, particularly in that kind of early stage of, 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 of travel coming back in a, you know, in hopefully a post COVID world. But I think that, but I think that's something that's, that's intrinsically part of how we think about it now. Yeah. And I really think, you know, humans will want to be more mindful and, you know, think about sustainable travel will probably yeah. continue to be a key factor in choosing these destinations and, you know, maybe visiting destinations and communities that need more tourism the most. Yeah. More take like, you know, taking a more compassionate approach to the travel. Do you think so? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, look, one of the things that is, you know, it's, it's not only in travel, I mean, it, it's in the in econ- economic rebound broadly, you know, we're all, I think, very aware that where we start to spend our money when we start to spend our money again in, in, in bigger and broader ways, you know, has a significant impact on, um, you know, businesses, communities, individuals. And so yeah, being mindful about, you know, where do you want those dollars to go? Um, I think will be part of the equation for thoughtful consumers and um, and absolutely wanting to make sure that we're making choices. I mean, I think we're all very conscious of the fact, particularly, you know, a certain kind of consumer. I think we're, you know, we're all very conscious of the fact that, um, you know, this period has 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 changed patterns and, you know, in significant ways, people aren't traveling as much. And one of the things that comes out of that is that there's not as much pollution or people aren't traveling as much. And one of the things that comes out of that is destinations that have struggled with over tourism aren't having that particular struggle right now. Do right. we want, do we want to go back exactly to the way things were? I think for many of us, the answer to that is not quite, you know, that there are certain things that we do hope will go back to quote unquote normal. And there might be some things that we would like to see change. And I think people will make, will make slightly different decisions based on that. Yeah. And it seems like the whole desire for this quick escape seems less relevant now. I think so. You know, I think, I mean, I think there'll always be some of that, but I hope that, you know, uh, you know, but I hope that actually what we see is that maybe people are just a little bit more mindful of, of how they execute on that. Um, and, you know, I also hope actually when I mean, we're seeing it right now, um, you know, that 
people are also discovering a little bit, you know, what it means to kind of explore your own backyard or kind of, you know, think a little bit closer to home. I think, you know, I think particularly among luxury consumers for a long time, there's been this sense of like, well, you know, you you want to go you want to go as far as you can in some ways or you know or you know push you know make the as exotic a choice as possible and you know I think there is something to be said for some of the like rediscovery of the nearby that's been going on um, in this period and you know hopefully maybe some of that lasts because that's not a bad thing either for you know for us to um, understand what it means to explore our regions or our states or you know things that just aren't necessarily so far away all the time. Yeah, I agree. You know, airlines have been hit especially hard by the uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic. You know, Air American Airlines and Southwest Airlines posted quarterly losses in the billions last month. And, yeah. you know, Virgin Atlantic filed for bankruptcy, which is, you know, shocking, but, you know, nothing really shocks me anymore. <laughs> and so while commercial air is starting to pick up slightly, you know, many travelers won't go near until airlines have adopted their seating configurations and introduced more, you know, contactless travel initiatives. Um, you know, you're starting to see stricter mask policies on airlines. I think, you know, Delta says is basically putting people on a no fly list if they don't wear masks, which I'm totally for. Um, Emirates began, you know, conducting on-site rapid COVID-19 testing. You know, affluent travelers are already, you know, already concerned about, you know, wasted time on airports and, you know, this post-COVID adds additional safety concerns. So do you think affluent travelers will return to commercial flying? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, um, you know, even in the affluent segment, obviously, like private is only going to be an option for some people. Um, and, um, and only some of the time for some of those people, obviously, there is a segment of the market that can fly private all the time, if that's what they want. Um, but I think so I think commercial aviation is, you know, is here to stay. And, um, and I think there's always going to be a segment of the population that will need that. Um, so, you know, that said, I do think actually there is opportunity in this in this period and beyond for private and for private light, you know, or private light um, solutions, which we've, you know, which we've seen, you know, companies like right JFX or whatever that do these kinds of like quasi private. Yeah. Um, but I think, no, I think, I think commercial will, uh, you know, has to be an option. Um, and so the, you know, the question really is, you know, what does that look like particularly in this period, as we've, you know, as we've seen, and then, you know, what does it look like? Obviously, if we get to a point where I think COVID is not so much of a concern in the sense that we have effective treatment or vaccine, then I think obviously there's no real barrier for commercial, um, you know, to, to come back uh, fully. But, you know, in this period, I think what, what, what I hear and what I see and what I feel myself personally that consumers are looking for is as high a degree as of confidence as possible in that they're going to be safe. Um, and while there's no guarantees, obviously, I think, um, you know, what I'm hearing anecdotally from a lot of folks is that the airlines that are being um, stricter um, and more careful and thoughtful about how about their practices are earning those travelers business um, right. and in this period. And, um, and I think we'll see that. I think there is legitimate um, positive, there are legitimate positive business outcomes attached to airlines adopting good practices in this period. And I think it will also earn them loyalty with those customers over time. Um, I feel that way myself. 
you know, seamless, the word seamless, you know, was a big buzzword and buzzword in travel a few years ago where every moment of the journey happens effortlessly before, during, and after the trip. Now it seems like the shift is to contactless, mm. you know, you're starting to yeah. see hotels accelerating their contactless technology solutions, yeah. you know, beyond just beyond the digital check-ins, which was happening anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, in-room voice assistance, again, that happened before, but from the mm -hmm. digital concierge bots that we're seeing to contactless temperature check kiosks in the library, in the lobby, to reservations and payment systems where guests can reserve things like beach chairs or cabanas. Is touchless technology going to be table stakes at these luxury hotels? I, I you know, I've always been a, um, I've always been an advocate for um, the luxury industry to really, you know, in, in travel in particular, to really be thinking about ways that technology can be um, conducive to a luxury experience. Um, I think for a long time, a lot of folks in the luxury space really felt like technology was um, not so conducive to sort of a luxury experience because luxury was inherently kind of about human and high touch service. And um, I think a lot of people felt like the kind of sort of disintermediation that technology does was, you know, somehow, you know, meant, created coldness to an experience that was meant to be warm. And, um, and while I understand some of that, and I think you can definitely take application of technology too far, um, I do think a lot of these kinds of things are, are with us um, and probably are here to stay in one form or another, even, you know, even after we get through this period, simply because actually in many cases, what they do do um, is actually make the experience more seamless. And I think, what I've often encouraged, you know, I before I joined Expedia and after I um, left um, uh, Meredith and Time Inc., um, I um, I consulted um, with a, a number of different um, companies in the luxury travel space, and it was one of the things that um, I really talked a lot about with my, um, you know, with my clients was you know this idea that um, you want to look at where human beings add add legitimate value and make the experience better for people but if something is simply you know a basic need that that people need to get met and and there isn't much to do other than make it fast and easy and painless for them then if technology can help you do that so much the better so i think some of these things will stay not necessarily because people don't want to have contact with another person but simply because they're faster and easier to use yeah, you know, you know, we can't talk about travel unless we, you know, we talk about business travel and the massive yes. pullback in business travel, you know, inflicted the deepest economic pain. Yeah. You know, airline and hotel business models have, you know, been designed around the steadfast and relatively price agnostic expense account traveler. We have Zoom now. Why do we need yep. to travel a few thousand miles to meet a client? And I don't think Zoom fatigue will motivate executives back on the plane. Where do you see the future of business travel? Yeah, I um, I tend to agree to some extent. I'm um, I'm not one of these people who thinks that business travel will be like you know dead and that it'll you know it, it it won't exist. I've you know I've read some things that take I've read some points of view that have taken a fairly extreme position on this. Um, uh, I do believe that business travel will continue to have a place, but I I, I am I am of the opinion that. Um, I think it may not look like it like it did before um, in the sense, in the same way that working in offices probably won't look the way it did before exactly. Right. 
um, just in the sense that we've all learned that some of what we were doing before wasn't wasn't genuinely necessary. Um, and so um, that said, I do think that one of the things, at least, you know, this is just my own personal opinion based on my own experience. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned in this period is that, um, you know, it is important to have actual in-person human contact, at least some of the time, because there is something qualitatively different about how you build relationships. No question. Um, I find than just doing video calls. And so I think that there still will be a place for people to come together. And I think actually, if more companies adopt virtual uh, work arrangements, I think that could actually be a little bit of a help for business travel in the sense that I think sometimes those people will want to come together. And if people are more spread out, if more people are working in, you know, remote locations, um, there'll be a need to bring people together sometimes. And that could actually be offset some of this a little bit. But I, I, I do think you're right that um, I think it's entirely probable that business travel won't necessarily quite look the way it did before you won't necessarily have quite the same level of like road warriors who are you know on the road 250 days a year yeah um so what do you think the luxury traveler tomorrow will, will be looking for um i think it won't necessarily be all that different than what we were seeing coming you know coming into this in the sense that i think what um I think what people really want is, you know, they want specialness, they want things that um, deliver something that feels, you know, rich and rewarding. And, you know, we talked about that idea of kind of the, you know, those life-changing bucket list kind of experiences. I think that, I, I think for me, that's something that I'm really focused on is this idea that travel, I think people really connect the idea today of travel with kind of betterment in one way or another and whether that's whether that's truly personal in terms of like I'm enjoying my life better or whether it's I'm learning new things or I'm exposing myself to something that I wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. I think that that is just going to continue to be more and more of a motivator for people and so I think what they're going to be looking for in travel and this has been true as a trend I think for a number of years now but I think only only grows and influences this idea that luxury is less about um you know it's less about the stuff of um you know or the you know the quality of the soft goods um and it's more about what is the experience you know you know what is the what is the thing i'm doing um or the you know the the, the way i'm using my time um that feels meaningful to me. I think, you know, time, I talk about this a lot, but like, you know, for the affluent consumer, time in some ways is their most precious commodity. Um, and so making effective use of time is a, is, a, is a really key thing for them. And I think that travel syncs up with that as it's like, if leisure time is the thing that I have the least of in my life, um, I want it to feel really, really meaningful. Yeah, but do you think luxury travelers will still pay attention to detail and, you know, having these unparalleled experiences and quality and service, but there's this new layer of trust and flexibility and safety now? Yeah, no, that too. I mean, look, and I think the travel industry as a whole, I think will have some work to do in the COVID recovery period. It's true now, and it will be true, I think, for some time in kind of really restoring confidence and, and reassuring people that, you know, in how things are going to be for them. I think there, I think there's a, a heightened um, importance on communication and, and, and transparency um, 
in um, in the travel industry, and I think that'll that will um, that will absolutely continue, you know. But I think and I think and I think a lot of that stuff will just be table stakes, you know. Like people will people will expect that, and then it'll be you know, how do you make this experience really satisfying on top of that? Now, Nathan, I know you love to travel, and you know Virgin is planning a supersonic jet that will go mm-hmm. from New York City to London in two hours. So do you be do you plan on being one of those first passengers? Totally, I would love to. Absolutely, <laughs> I you know I I um I never flew on the Concorde, and I um I regret to this day I had an opportunity to be on the last flight of the Concorde, and I couldn't do it. I didn't do it, and I I still regret it. Um, um, uh, I wanted to have that experience. So yes, absolutely. Sign me up. I'll do it. <laughs> so Nathan, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. And I'll be very, I'm really looking forward to your answer on this. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of transportation or anything that requires mobile service. What would that one luxury item be? So my answer is going to be maybe strange to some people because I'm going to say something that is not that most people probably wouldn't consider to be a luxury item. But I think the thing I would most want is my Kindle stocked with a ton of books on it. Um, And, you know, and and look like uh, does it count or does that not count well if you've already had them downloaded and there's no uh, yeah no wireless service you've already downloaded them already that's yes exactly right like so and the the reason i say this is look like you know i think what's uh, to me why i why i like this as a choice for me is that um you know look a kindle costs like what a hundred bucks right but the luxury for me of a kindle is that i could have i could have 150 books on it um and what it would allow me to do in my solitude on that deserted island is to have company and to use my brain in ways that would be enriching for me in that period until hopefully someone discovers me and gets me out of there. Um, so. I hope at least those books, you'll, at least you'll have, perhaps you, I'm sure you'll have Robinson Crusoe on there <laughs> right. and Contiki and some of these other. That's right. But yeah, so that's, that's, it's, a, it's perhaps an, um, not a, not a usual choice, but it, it probably would be mine. It was a great answer. Nathan, thank you so much. And I knew um, we were going to have a great show. Very insightful. I really appreciate um, you coming on and um, look forward to speaking to you again. Likewise. Thanks a lot for having me. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.